Over and over again, the more I talk to people, the more I hear the same, same story when it comes to spiritual disciplines. We're too busy. I'm too busy. I don't have time for that. You know, Pastor Nick, that might be for you and your house, those rhythms, those sacred things of studying the Word of God, meditating on Scripture, fasting, praying, journaling, right? Solitude and silence, uh, you know, and Sabbath and, you know, simplicity. Those things might be for your house, but they're not for my house because my house is too busy. And let me caution you, anytime we say that we are too busy for God, that's a very dangerous statement. Very dangerous statement. Anytime we might be thinking, well, I'm just too busy, I, I would challenge you to say the words out loud and make sure that they sound appropriate, right? Saying, no, God, I'm too busy to go to church today. I mean, say them out loud, right? Because when you say them out loud, you're thinking that's outlandish, that's crazy. Because at the end of the day, think about this. What if I gave you a clock, and on that clock, it showed you how much time you had left to live? Think about that. Think if you had a clock or maybe a watch that on, the, on that watch actually displayed the amount of moments left in your life, maybe seconds, maybe months, maybe years. Imagine right now if you could also see everybody else's clock. Imagine if like you were introducing somebody, maybe talking to the cashier at the, at the uh, Dollar General, amen. Uh, maybe it was at you know, McDonald's going through the drive-thru. Maybe it, above their head you saw the number of days or the number of years they had left. I promise you something, it would change the way you acted. It would change the way you acted. Maybe if you saw your grandparents, you saw their clock was a little bit shorter than you could imagine, you would spend more time with them. Maybe if there's somebody at the hospital you're visiting, you saw their clock just ticking away slowly but surely, maybe you would be more kind to them. Maybe for that waiter or waitress you came in contact with at one time, you would really think and be intentional about how you impacted their life. And I would hope that for all of us, if we had that clock for ourselves and others, it would change how we use our time. It would change what we do in our days. It would change how we live our days. Because think about this. The moment Jesus entered the creation narrative, the moment Jesus became a baby, he knew his time. From the moment he took his first breath, he knew the cross was looming. He knew there would be a resurrection. He knew he had roughly 33 and a half years to live. 33 and a half years. 33 and a half years of moments, of, of relationships, of contact, 33 and a half years of conversations, 33 and a half years to put as much as he possibly could in that time. Maybe you're like me, sometimes I wonder, why didn't the Lord stay maybe 100 years, right? Why couldn't they crucify Jesus when he was older? We don't know that. Why did he just say 20 years? Why didn't God just drop Jesus in the middle of Golgotha and say, hey, he's going to die right there? But that's not the ways of the Lord. The Lord had him grow up and mature just like all of us grew up and mature. The Lord had him become a baby. The Lord had him become a, a toddler. Can you imagine having a discipline of a toddler who was perfect? I mean, can you, can you fathom that, amen? Uh, can you fathom? Not one who thinks they're perfect, amen, uh, but one who actually was. And for 33 and a half years, Jesus took time. This is what I'm getting at. Jesus took time, guys, to practice the spiritual disciplines. Jesus took time to be alone with the Father. Jesus took time to pray. Jesus took time to make disciples. Jesus took time when he had so much limited time to make sure he did the things we're talking about this morning. So you might say, man, I'm too, I'm too busy. You're telling me you're busier than Jesus? You're telling me that you don't have, you have way more responsibilities than the Son of God had? Because the truth of the matter is, guys, there are three ways, there are three things that God does to change us and how we grow, how we change, 
happens in these three categories, happens in these three rhythms. Our first one is God changes us by loving us. God changes us by loving, right? And loving means an emotion, right? Look at John chapter 15, verses 9 through 10. Look what it says here. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So abiding in the vine. Think about that. That Jesus, everything Jesus did, guys, every moment you see Jesus acting, you know what he always said? Jesus says, what? I never, ever do anything unless I see the Father doing something. He says, I don't, I don't start anything, I don't do my own thing, and then expect the Father to bless what I'm doing. No, Jesus was about this. He said what? I see what the Father is already doing, and then I join the Father in that work. Too many times in the church, ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to tell you today, we make plans, and then we ask God to bless our plans instead of going to God to get the plans. And at the end of the day, that's getting the cart before the horse, and it gets all cattywampus, amen, for Western Kentucky talk. And at the end of the day, we have to abide in Christ. Why? Because just like he said, we can't do anything. Guys, we can't save people. We can't change people. I can't protect my family at the end. I can do everything I possibly can. But if the Lord does not watch over them, it's all in vain. We are helpless, and that helplessness should humble us to know that we've got to abide in Christ. Look what he says there. He says, I am divine, you are the branches. You know, those storms came through a couple days ago and knocked some branches out of our trees in our backyard. I didn't take that branch and go stick it in the ground and cover it up. Why? Because that would be stupid. Nothing would happen, right? Nothing would change. That branch would die. Why? Because it's not connected to the tree, which is not connected to the ground, which is not pulling nutrients out of the ground. And at the end of the day, we have so, so many people in our church culture that think they can do the Christian life without Christ. And we can't. Guys, you'll just get frustrated. Trying to do things in your own power, you'll get frustrated and it'll lead nowhere. But we've got to, we have to abide in Christ. And guess what he says? When you abide in him, he says, my love will abide in you. My love will abide in you. Because guess what? That love of Christ, we only get it from God. You know what the Bible says about this? It says what? It doesn't say God does love. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say God will love. No, it says what? God is love. God sets the standard for what love looks like. He commands it of us. Did you notice that? He commanded us to love people. Because at the end of the day, love is more than emotions. Love is a decision. You know what? It didn't take me too long being married to find out. Find out. I, there's not a lot of days. I, there, I mean, not a lot of days. I'm going to take that back. There's a few days. Uh, there's a few days where I don't feel like being a loving husband. Amen. Can I get a praise God from anybody in the house? Testify. Uh, you know what I mean? It didn't take long. I got, I'm not going to lie to you. It took me maybe going through the airport, my wife on her honeymoon, thinking, what in the world? Who did I marry? Uh, you know what I mean? Like, what kind of, what's going on here? Because it doesn't take you too long to figure out that love is a decision. I love what Tony Evans has to say about this. Listen, to this. this is so, so good. He says, love is a decision to compassionately, righteously, responsibly, and sacrificially seek the well-being of another. Whoo! I'm going to read it to you again. Some of y'all need to write that in your handy dandy notebook. Love is a decision to compassionately righteously, responsibly, and sacrificially seek the well-being of another. That is so good. You made the decision to seek the well-being of another. You know what's crazy? God sought the well-being of you before you even knew who God was. Think about that. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God given to you before you ever gave him anything, right? Because that's what God does. That's who God is. So God is love. Why? Because he compassionately, righteously, responsibly, and sacrificially seeks out the benefit and the good of all of us. And not only all of us, church, but even if you're not one of God's children, you still receive a part of God's love thanks to common grace. Think about that, that a believer and an atheist both benefit from the good grace of our Father because that's how much loving He is. They get to see the same, see the same scenic routes. They get to taste the same fajitas and get the same taste in their taste buds. They get to experience the common grace of God because that's just who God is. God is love. But let me tell you something here. Look at me. This is countercultural in 2023. God is love, but let me tell you something. Love is not God. Did you hear that, church? God is love, but love is not God. Emotions are good, but they are not God. Because you know what? Your emotions can lie to you. Your emotions can make you feel a certain way. Talk about third grade crush, amen. Like you thought we made it all through third grade. You had your Valentine's box and she checked no, amen. Because your emotions can lie to you really quickly. You might have emotions to eat that whole line of Oreos, amen, and then you really messed up. You have emotions, you might feel a certain way because your emotions can lie to you. One of my favorite examples of this is when they train airplane pilots, especially if they're going to the high caliber of Navy Aviation School or anything like those lines. One of the last tests that pilot will do before they turn them loose is they will put them in a cockpit and they will blindfold them. Blindfold them to such a way where they cannot see around them and they cannot look at the horizon with their eyes. And the whole meaning of that entire process is so the pilot will understand that his eyes can sometimes lie to him and to trust his equipment. Because when you're in the middle of the storm, you might think you're going the right direction, but at the end of the day, guess what? Because the storm is so close to you, because your vision is so clouded, you cannot pay attention to what's going on around you. You have to pay attention to the instruments. Because the instruments tell the truth even when your eyes are lying to you. Now, what do I mean by that? Your emotions don't tell you the whole truth, and they can lie to you. So we take God's truth, and we apply all of our emotions to God's truth and see if it is the truth. Because there's a way that seemeth right to a man that leads to death. You might feel a certain way. You might feel a certain way, but feelings do, not make, do, do make a very poor God, and they are not God. They are real, but they are not reliable. Feelings are real, but they are not reliable. You think about how many times you've changed your emotions in your mind throughout your life. You ever had moments like that? You ever have time in your life you thought one thing or felt one thing, and then after a while it changed? Because your emotions are not God. They are good, but they are not God. I love um, what Robbie Gallaty has to say about this. He says this in his book, Growing Up. You will never serve God faithfully until you love him fervently. You will never serve God faithfully until you love him fervently. The truth of the matter is, church, your calendar and your bank account and your schedule, same thing as calendar, Nick, uh, say a lot more about how, who you love and what you love than your actual words do. Your calendar and your bank account say a lot more about what you actually love more than your actual words do. Because at the end of the day, Love is not only spelled L-O-V-E, it's spelled T-I-M-E. It's what you give your time to. It's what you give your time to. 
You know what your mom wants at the end of the day? I'll, I'll weave a little Mother's Day in there, Amy, as we go. Your mom doesn't want flowers that have died in a week. Maybe she does. I, I, would, I think that's weird, to be honest with you, because uh, they're going to die, right? She doesn't want maybe a present that she got 16 things of. At the end of the day, your mom wants your time. She wants you to call her every day, text her in the morning. She wants you to show up at her house, spend hours with her. That's what they want. That's what they want. So our knowing, I mean, our loving should lead to our knowing. That's point number two. Our, our loving should lead to our knowing, which is our mind. Look what he says here in verses 12 through 15. How do we love God? We love God because this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that somebody lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Guys, you love because you know, and they feed into each other. The more you love, the more you know you want to know, and the more you know, usually the more you love. So we love God because we know God. I love what the psalmist says about this. Psalm uh, 34 verses 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste it and see that the Lord is good. Let me tell you something. You might go, you might go get drunk. You might go get high. You will never find a high that is better than an intense relationship with God Almighty. You never will. You'll never find a relationship that compares to the Lord. Why? Because the Lord is perfect in every way, shape, form, or fashion. Think about this. My wife has sinned against me, and there is coming a day where Esther's going to sin against me intentionally and hurt my feelings and be like, I hate you, Daddy. Right? Those days are coming. There has never been a time where God has sinned against me. There's never been a time where God has done wrong to you. Let that wash over. Let you marinate in that. There has never been a time God has not been good to you. Never been a time. And you might say, well, I feel like there's been times. Correct, I'm going to correct you there. Your feelings are not God. Because once again, God has always been good to you. Even through the bad, worst seasons of life, God has always been good to us. Always been good to us. We love, why? Because we know that he has loved us first. That's why I got back to the beginning of the message. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not love his brother when he, cannot, when he has seen, cannot love God whom he has seen. Look, pay attention there. In this commandment we have from him, whoever loves must also love his brother. What is he getting at here? Paul is getting, I mean, John is getting at here. At the end of the day, we should love God, and we should know we love God, and that should transform the way we live, because at the end of the day, the more we know about God, the more it makes us love Him more, and the more that we love God, the more it makes us want to know more about Him, and that in turn overflows in our lives to we makes us to want to know our brothers. Wants us to want to make it to know our sisters. And the more we know each other, guess what? The more you want to love each other, and the more you love each other, the more you want to serve each other. Because at the end of the day, they all feed into each other. Your loving, your emotions feeds into your knowing, which is your mind. I love what Paul says to the church at Rome there in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Be transformed by what? The renewing of your emotions? No. Be transformed by the renewing of your feelings? No. Be transformed by the renewings of your Sundays? No. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind. 
Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, he says. That loving feeds into our knowing, and that knowing is it makes us want to know God more and more and more and more. You know how God can be all loving? Because he's all knowing. You know what's fun? When you're first dating, you try to put your best foot forward. Always when you're first dating, like you'll go through and you'll spend an hour lining up your beard. Amen. I wish they had an app for that. They could show you where to shave. Amen. Uh, to make sure your beard line was perfectly straight. You'll make sure everything. I remember the first day I had with Emily. I remember I had my Jeep, which is my cool ride back then. Rest in peace. Uh, at the end of the day, but I had my Jeep. I remember I spent all day cleaning, shining everything on that Jeep, make sure it was all cleaned up. Went to go pick her up. I remember I had the top down. I was thinking, if I can't get her my Jeep wheel, amen. Uh, at the end of the day, and I'll never forget that, how much time and effort I spent on polishing that working through everything, and you always talk about yourself like you're better than you think you are, right? You always talk about, you always hide your crazy family parts, amen? Uh, You know what I mean? Like you always put your best foot forward because you want that person to see the best version of yourself, aka social media, amen? Like nobody puts on their, hey, we're about to get divorced, on their seaside pictures, right? Nobody puts it on there. Nobody puts like a picture in their family vacation, they all threw up, but we're here. Because we always try to put our best foot forward. Because we want people to love us, but we want to be loved to a safe degree. Because the truth is, we all in here hide a part of ourselves because you always think like I think, and I know you think this because I think this, and I know you think that because I'm a person too, is if they really knew me, they wouldn't love me. Here's what should blow your socks off. God fully knows you and he fully loves you. He fully knows you. You know that thought you're thinking about sometimes? He knows about it. You know the taxes you cheated on three years ago? He knows about it. You know the time you were in church thinking about Cracker Barrel? He knew about it. He knows about it. And he loves you in spite of it. Why? Because God's love has nothing to do with us. and has everything to do with him. It's who God is. It's who God is. The letters to the church in Revelation, one of their, I think it's uh, Ephesians, it says, Jesus says this, I have this against you, that you have departed from your first love. Do what you did first. You've debar- you have departed from your first love. Do what you did at first. Because the more you're getting to know somebody, you know what you do? You want to know more. So you start asking questions, spending time with them. And that knowing and loving, once again, they go hand in hand. Because to know them is to want to know them more and to love them more. And at the end of the day, God knows you completely and he loves you supremely. Why? Because it's who he is. That's who God is. And he knows all these things. You want to be like, Pastor Nick, what, why in the world does that do with the way we live? Because it leads us to our last point. Our loving and emotions, our knowing and our minds, and at the end of the day, that changes to our obeying, which changes our will. Look what he says here in Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 14. You've already heard a few verses about this. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. But look what Paul says to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 14. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passion. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. 
For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. Paul tells this church, he says what? If you're going to submit to something, submit yourself to the Lord. Be an instrument of righteousness. Be an instrument of righteousness. You know what that means? Think about an instrument. I love this terminology here because think about this. Think about anybody who grabs a tool, that tool, regardless of how it's made, can be used by that person however they see fit. You know what I mean? Some of y'all probably been like there where I have where you didn't have the right tool and you thought, I'm going to use this other tool to make it work and you damage the part you're working on. And then you got to go to Lowe's 16 times to find the right part. You just broke because you used the wrong tool and the wrong part to fix the right problem. Amen. You ever been there? Can I get an amen from the bros? Where the five-minute job turns into a five-hour job. Because you use the wrong tool with the wrong purpose to fix the right project with the, right, with the wrong methods. It always happens, right? When we submit ourselves to our flesh, when we give in to what we want to do, you know what we're doing? We're becoming instruments of flesh. We are causing death and destruction everywhere we go. Everywhere we go, when we are allowing our flesh to act through our lives, we are causing destruction everywhere we go. You know how I know this? I've never seen somebody say, we just show we love each other by how we cuss and tear down each other. Like, that's how I know we are soulmates, because we fight and we fight and we fight and we love it. You need therapy, amen? You need to go to counseling, right? Because at the end of the day, whenever your flesh takes over, I can promise you, you're going to say and do things you would normally do. And you know what we always say? Well, that wasn't really me. I didn't mean what I said. You know the truth of the matter is? That was really you. That was really your flesh coming out. And only by the power of God's Spirit does He withhold our flesh. He overcomes our flesh. And He allows us. Look what it says there. It's so good. I think you just, I think like me, first time I read through these verses, you skip through it so quickly that at the end of the day, you can see where he says here, he says what? Submit yourself to not be instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God. Submit yourselves to God to be instruments of righteousness. So we place ourselves to God and say, God, I'm your body. God, I want my mouth to say the things God would say. God, I want my mind to think the way God would think. God, I want my hands to do what God would do. At the end of the day, guys, we want ourselves to be the best version of ourselves, and the best versions of ourselves was the perfect version of yourself, which God created you to be, but you won't reach perfection until you reach glory. But until then, you should see yourself dying away slowly as Christ lives out in you fully the older you get. Why? Because then you'll be the best husband you can be. Then you'll be the best wife you can be. Then you'll be the best mother you can be. Then you'll be the best father you can be. Why? Because at the end of the day, your family doesn't need you to act like yourself. Your family needs you to act like Christ. That's what they need. And this theme is throughout the whole Bible. Love your wife like Christ loves his church. Christ set this example of how we're supposed to do these things. And at the end of the day, we've gotten so far from it. Because the truth is, we do change by the power of God's Spirit, but also we change by us submitting to that power. Because God's not going to force you to do things. That's not what love does. Love, love doesn't make you do things. At the end of the day, God is patient and kind. 
And he wants us to, to join him. He wants us to be a part of, a, of him changing us from the inside out. Because here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to ever leave this place and think, Pastor Nick, if I change my behavior, if I change my behavior, that'll lead to my transformation. Let me tell you something. It's because we've been transformed that that changes our behavior. It is an inside-out situation, not an outside-in. God doesn't change us from the outside to the inside. No, God changes us from the inside to the outside. That's how God works. So it's not about us behaving. It's about us becoming. It's about us becoming more like Christ. Because let me tell you this. Before God does something through you, he has to first do something in you. Before God does something through you, he has to first do things in you. You ever look back on a time in your life before maybe you got a job or promotion, and you knew, you knew without a shadow of a doubt that if you had got that promotion several years ago, you would have messed it up. You ever been there? You ever notice how as time happens, you begin to change? Your perspective begins to change? I told this before here, but it's just the truth. At the end of the day, Calvary, I've been here almost 14 years. You've had seven different pastors, Amen. You've had me with hair, not with hair, right? You've had me single, had me dating, had me engaged, had me married, had me with you know, one kiddo, now I have another kiddo who pretty soon on the way. You've had me through many seasons of life. Guess what? I'm not who I was back then. I'm not who I was. And thank God for that, praise the Lord. Because you hear somebody say over and over again, well, this is just the way God made me. No, brother, no, sister, that's not the way God made you. That's how you made yourself. God's will and desire for our lives is us to be less conformed to this world and more conformed to the image of Christ. And how does this happen, church? This happens by us loving the Lord. And how do we love the Lord? It's only because we know the Lord. Come and taste and see that the Lord is good. And that knowing and that, lo that loving and knowing feeds into us obeying. And they all feed into each other. Because you know what happens? The more I obey the Lord, and the more, even you know what I'm talking about when you're in rhythm with the Spirit of God? You know what I'm talking about? Some of you know what I'm talking about. But I'm telling you, whenever you do something, you feel like you're riding step with the Spirit. Like you feel like almost God's taking over, and you're saying things you wouldn't normally say. You're doing things you wouldn't normally do, and you're sitting there thinking, what's going on? I'm not talking about being possessed. I mean, some of you are looking at me weird. Uh, I'm talking about, but I'm talking about you're in rhythm with the Spirit of God in such a way where you feel so good because you're doing exactly what God wants you to do. You have moments like that? And I'll be honest with you, church, those moments for me happened when I was uncomfortable. Those moments for me happened when I heard the Holy Spirit, like, really pushing me, hey, share the gospel. And I was like, oh, no, I can't share the gospel. And all of a sudden, I share the gospel, and you're invigorated. Why? Because you're in step with the Spirit. And it's in those moments when I'm obeying Christ to the fullest I possibly can that I feel the presence of Christ in my life. And that, you know what that does? That drives me to want to know him more, which causes me to love him more, which causes me to serve him more. Why? Because at the end of the day, if you're not serving the Lord, it's because you don't love the Lord. And if you don't love him, it's because you don't know him. Because if you knew him like I knew him, if you know him like I know him, you would want to love him. And if you love him, guess what? You would want to serve him. Because there's only one thing that gets you up in the middle of the night when you got a newborn. It's love. It ain't nothing else. You go in there, brother, sister, fumbling through the nursery door, taking that bottle, just finding a, trying to find a hole to stick it in. 
And you're asleep, you're rocking them, you're going like this, you got to get them like two hours. Hey, there ain't no caffeine that'll do it. It's just love. And there's love because you know this is an image bearer of you and your spouse. You know without a shadow of a doubt, this is your DNA. So because you know that, it makes you love them. And because you love them, you want to serve them. Guys, it's these three rhythms, these three things over and over again. This is how God changes us. But it all starts with abiding. It all starts if we abide in Christ. And that abiding does take some work. It's amazing how many of us will pray for God to move a mountain, but we won't pick up a shovel. You'll pray, pray, pray. God, I want you to do something in my life. God, I want you to do something in my life. God, I want you to move in my life, yet you won't pick up your Bible. God, I want you, I want you, God, God, I'm telling you, I want you, God, I need this, I need this, I need this, and yet you won't be a part of a community of believers. We'll complain, complain, complain about God not working in our lives, and at the end of the day, we're not even willing to walk with the Lord. Because I'm telling you, to know Him, is to love him, and to love him is to know him. It's when you know him, and you begin to love him, and you experience the love of Christ, guess what? It overflows in your life. It just overflows in your life in such a way where you begin to obey him. You begin to obey him, why? Because you love him. If you love him, you will keep his commandments. If you don't agree with that, I'll just give you a classic example. And I use it all the time because it's just so, it's so true. You don't want your children to obey you because they're afraid of you. You don't. You want them to obey you because they respect you and love you. Because you want them to trust what you have said so much that they don't even have to try it out. And that's why it's so frustrating they don't do it. You know how frustrating it is to have a tiny little human you're trying to feed and they don't want to eat? And you're like, I'm trying to keep you alive. And they look at you and you put food in front of them. Yeah. How dare you spawn of Satan? Uh, you know what I mean? Like, you're like, I'm trying to feed you. And then they look over there, num num. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, it's so frustrating how you have this little tiny image bearer and you're looking at them thinking, you look just like me, and yet you won't listen just like me. You know how frustrating it is to put things in front of them that are good for them and they just, meh, meh. How much more does our Father put good things in front of us? How much more does our Father put good things in front of us? And we say, no, God, I don't want to do that. Some of you, you're lonely. That's, I can see it on your face. Only human interaction you have is maybe when you decide to go actually Walmart and shop because the, uh, the pickup line's too long. You're thinking, I can do this. I can look at people again. I can do this. But you're just lonely. And God has given you a body of believers to belong to. And you said, I don't want that. I'll just, I'll just do my lonely thing, God. I wonder how many of you are looking for, you want to be changed. You're thinking, well, I want to be changed by one of my terms. I want to go to the self-help section of the library and pick out a book that I want instead of reading God's word. And God puts us the word of God in front of us and said, hey, just, just read the word of God. And you say, I don't want that. Because the sad reality of it is, church, 
It is only by knowing, loving, and obeying Christ that God changes us. That is how God, that's how we change. That is how we change. You might be like, Pastor Nick, what, what, has made, what has changed so much in the American church? What has changed so much in American Christianity? I'll tell you what's changed so much. And the best example I can give you is a bonsai tree. A bonsai tree. Mr. Miyagi, Daniel-san, right? Y'all thinking like King, <laughs> Karate Kid? No, no, no. But a bonsai tree, what's amazing about that is a bonsai tree has the same DNA as any other tree. Isn't that wild? Like the same DNA in that bonsai tree is the same kind of DNA that you find in the other tree. The difference in the bonsai tree, I'm not, probably not even saying that correctly. Donnie's going to correct me after church. It is bonsai. Uh, you know what I mean? The only difference in a bonsai tree, in a regular tree, is that the bonsai tree is root locked. Where the container it is in keeps that plant from growing any higher or taller than it's supposed to be. And the tree has been in that situation so long, has been in that environment for so long, that if you were to take that tree and plant it on the yard, it would get way bigger. Why? Because the limits are off of it now. It can actually grow and mature and be the thing it's created to be. I wonder how many of you, and I love you to death, you are root-locked because you think all God has for you is this. God just has Caleb for me on Sunday mornings. God just has a sermon for me once a week. When I'm telling you, God has so much more for you than that. God has so much more for you than that. And the more he has, I wish it was money. I wish I'd get everybody and be like, if you go home and you dig in your backyard, you're going to hit oil. Let me tell you something. If you go home and don't call 811, you're going to have a gas leak. I wish I could tell you that the check's coming in the mail. I can't promise you that because God doesn't promise you that. But what I can promise you is what God's word promises. That he will never leave you or forsake you. That even when you're faithless, he remains faithful. That even when you want to run out on him, he'll run after you. Because the older you get, you know what you're experiencing in life? The best things about God are not what he gives you. The best thing about God is who he is. It's his presence in our life that truly is the blessing of our life. And you've got to surround yourself with people who know that. There's a famous passage everybody preaches on Mother's Day, and you've probably heard me preach this before. It's in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3-7. through 7. Paul has this to say to young Timothy. He says, I thank God who I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you. I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith. Listen to this. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. Now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan the flame that the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands, for God gave you a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. He says, I'm reminded of the faith your grandmother had, and I'm reminded of the faith your mother had. Let me just take a moment here to talk about our moms. Let me tell you something, moms. You have the privilege of molding little disciples, and you spend more time with them than anybody else on the planet. Let me tell you something. They're losing their minds in there. They don't want dad to come in there. 
Daddy walks in and they're going to say, where's mom? Because mom's the one you go to. Let me say, tell you something. Nothing's really lost until mom can't find it. Praise God. Amen. Because she can find anything. You can be like, I don't know where my keys are. She'll pull them up out of the, out of the floor. Here they are. They were right there. I mean, I'm kidding you not. It's crazy what moms can do. They always got snacks. Amen. Praise God. I'm a firm believer that mom's spit can take off anything on your face, even when you're 20. Come here. Come here, son. Let me just comb your hair over. You have the privilege, mothers, of shaping the environment of your children. You have the privilege of molding little Christ-like image bearers. You have more hands-on experience than anybody else does. And let me tell you something, dads, that's not a cop-out. Dads be involved, but we all know there ain't nobody like mama. And I want to encourage you, mama, though, are they seeing you? And they see that you know the Lord, and they see that you love the Lord, and they see that you serve the Lord. Because more than the words we say, church, more than the words we say, moms, is the pattern of our lives that shape our children. It is the rhythm of our lives. When the kids get up in the morning, they come in the kitchen, they see mom or dad reading their Bible, or they see you scrolling through everybody else's Facebook feed. They see when the bills are getting high, they see you arguing and fighting, or they see you praying and say, Lord, I need you to make a way where there is no way. Because little eyes are always watching, little ears are always listening, and little feet are always following. And let me tell you something. How does God choose to work in our lives? He works through our head, our heart, and our hands. Knowing, loving, and obeying. That's how God works. If we get them all cattywampus, say, well, no, if I love God, I'll know him. If I know God, then I'll love him. That's not the way it works. All three work in tandem. Because to know the Lord, I mean, to serve the Lord without knowing the Lord and loving the Lord, that's called Pharisees. But we are called to know him, to love him, and obey him. You take one of them out, it doesn't work. So won't you come this morning Come taste and see that the Lord is good.